welcome to Gag Me With The Chainsaw, a horror podcast about 80s slashers. I'm Corey. And I'm Sarah. And we love scary movies. And today we have a very special guest all the way from Chicago. Please welcome filmmaker Jim Vindiola. Hey, Corey. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yay. Thank you for coming on the show. Anybody seen any uh, good movies, horror or other otherwise? Um, I, I have. Yeah. I'm gonna wrap up some quick old business. <laughs> I saw the last picture show. Oh, finally! Finally, and first first viewing. Yep. And we've just been for years going. <laughs> oh my god! First, we neither neither one of us had seen it, right? And then you watched it, mm-hmm. and then it was like, oh, you'll. She kept telling me you'll love this movie, and I was like, I know I'll love it. And then we were like. I was like not watching it on purpose just to like, <laughs> I was edging and then I watched it and what, what a picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a big movie for me. It's still, it's still a favorite of mine that, that Samba lion monologue just oh my still God. gets me every time. <sighs> we were even talking <laughs> about it by the time we were in bed last night. Everything about it is so melancholic and the backdrop and just the characters yeah. and everything that's happening and like Cloris Leachman, oh. you know, sort of, it's just, God. I was like, what a lonely movie. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm getting lonely just thinking I about know. it again. It was so good, though. Tough, though, to not see the dude. I just yeah. have yeah. a hard time. Now, like anytime he comes on anything, Jason and I just look at each other and we're like, there he well, is. He's got that slack jawed like face that's just like younger, but you yeah. still see it. You just, you can't unsee it. And when he's mad about something, he's just, this aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> like it's the same. It's the same. <laughs> but love him. How can you not love him? So yeah. I also, uh, I, I have the, Sybil Shepherd thing where one of my eyelids is like lower than the other. So I'm fascinated by that on her and I love seeing it. Um I guess mine looks more like Tom York from Radio. Oh no. <laughs> I have that too and I always call it my lazy eye and Jason goes, Your eye isn't lazy and I'm like, Yeah, but there's something and then I finally figured out that's what it was in pictures. My one friend said to me one time, you've got like a Diana Ross eye. And I was like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> she goes, no, it's good. It's like sexy. And I was like, oh, God. I On her. Diana Ross <laughs> has that as well. It's like a lower lid. I don't know if that's what it is. But you know how like one of her eyes looks a little different? I guess I've never noticed that. Yeah. I- I don't know this about Diana Ross. I mean, I have listened to her music a lot, but I guess I don't really like... I've obviously seen pictures of her, but I don't. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't think of. Yeah, I can't think of what. I knew exactly what she meant she right away, like. and I was like, "Fuck!" Other people see that. It's not just me being overly critical in my pictures. Well, I've never noticed it, but now I'm gonna look for it. You're gonna. You're <laughs> gonna start seeing it now. Um, anybody else? Any? Any exciting movie news? Uh, yeah, I finally saw Bo's Afraid. Oh. How'd that go? I liked it. Yeah, I was a little like, do I want to watch this? It's three mm-hmm. hours. It's so long. <laughs> but I really liked it. Yeah, it's like, um, 
not what I was expecting, I don't think. It was like an anxiety nightmare movie, but it's also pretty darkly funny. Okay. I would recommend it, yeah. There's a great scene with Parker Posey. Oh, man. <laughs> I think they should have pushed more on that Parker Posey was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like she should have been in more of the movie, for me anyway. I thought she was like kind of the best part of that part of the movie. Yeah, that which was, like, was which was incidentally, in spite of her, my least favorite part of the movie because I thought the first hour was like amazing. <sighs> the first hour made me very anxious. <laughs> oh man! Okay, so watch this or do I not watch this? Watch it. It's funny as well, though. Like okay. it's not just full anxiety. Like you're gonna laugh. Okay. Nathan Lane's also in it. Okay, I'm watching. <laughs> I mean, it de- it definitely made me anxious, but I also felt like it was such like a like I felt seen, not because I have that level of anxiety that's depicted in the first hour, but I felt like it was such a specific and well rendered, externalized version of this character's anxiety that I was like pretty blown away by like seeing okay. that seeing that depicted in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would I would check it out. Okay, I had kind of like moved past it. But now I'll circle back around. Yeah, it's not. Def- it's definitely not like straight horror or anything. But yeah, okay. Yeah, watch it. Interesting information, Corey. I also took an edible and watched rewatched Hellbender, and ten, oh hell yeah, ten out of ten. <laughs> recommend that. Yeah, experience. dude. <laughs> I kept thinking like, this is the director's cut. This this scene is longer. Oh no, you were just high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, Shudder got like a new version of this. <laughs> the bow is afraid version. <laughs> Corey threw on a little Pink Floyd, fired up <laughs> Hellbender, went crazy. <laughs> I love Hellbender. I like that. I, I love that that's like a mother daughter duo on screen. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, the dad's involved too, but that's it just warms my heart that. That that's what that family does. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that movie a lot already. But... Yeah, we love it. <laughs> so another recommendation for Hellbender this time <laughs> yeah. on drugs. Yeah, do watch it on drugs. <laughs> it's like when I watched the Munsters on um, mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know how long that was to begin with, though. It was just as long as it was. <laughs> uh, criterion... Was it the, the, the Rob Zombie Munsters? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how how did that go? Was I that... mean, I think that the mushrooms definitely made it a better viewing. <laughs> Corey, you weren't on mushrooms. How did it go for you? Uh, I did not love that movie. Sad to say, but it's a good like put on the background movie. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, we agreed it would be good for a <laughs> Halloween party. Yeah. It was cute. A lot of fun colors. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not have been there. No, they were there. They were there. I don't know if they were this bright, but they were there. <laughs> I was just going to say Criterion put out um, on the streaming service Johnny Mnemonic in black and white. And so we watched that yesterday, too. I noticed that. How does that, uh, how, how does that play out hey, in black and white? Jason and I were like, this is, there's definitely got to be a class of movies that being in black and white is like, oh, this makes this movie better. 
Because as we were watching it, we were like, fuck, man, imagine how distracting all the like 90s techno colors would be um, if we were watching this the regular way right now. Because I hadn't seen it since probably it came out to rent. And Jason had watched it because he was in that in that scene. He was hacking the planet. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, nobody, neither one of us has seen it forever. So definitely, I think the black and white made it a much more interesting, definitely looked better, much more interesting movie. Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah. It's it's wild that they do that, like you said, with a, a film that that's colorful, uh, that's that colorful because they did that right with like uh, Fury Road as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear that's a really that cool. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those um, in black and white, uh, but they're so like, they're so vivid that it's such a strong choice to, you know, make that available. I guess the difference between Fury Road and Johnny Mnemonic is that, like, Fury Road starts out as, like, an excellent movie all around. Johnny Mnemonic, not so much. Like, as we were watching it, we were like, this is so silly. <laughs> but also, it was fun. It was fun. And all- it is fun, yeah. I love watching... Um, uh, like it's kind of like near future, I guess, sort of because it's nine. It's the it's from the nineties, and they're like Dateline twenty twenty one, and so <laughs> we were like, oh yeah, I remember when this is how life was two years ago, <laughs> and so like it is kind of always cool to watch stuff from the nineties as like technology was just really entering, and the internet was just like really entering the everyday home to see where people were like, this is where we're gonna be. Right? And just, I don't know. Some of it's right. Like, there are some dystopian elements of society, <laughs> I would definitely say. So, yeah, what they're just did... not as hip. The dystopia is not as uh, colorful and hip. No, I would say. not as colorful. No Batman colors. But they're, the way that movie ends, like, the big. Um, twist i guess of that movie i did not remember this and i never would have guessed it in a million years we were fucking screaming <laughs> i'm not gonna say it no spoiler no spoilers i i respect you not spoiling a movie that's like you know 20 <laughs> years old because i was gonna ask but then i was like because i forgot what the ending was because i watched it a few years ago and maybe got through like half of it and went to bed mm-hmm. um but I'll look it up. I'll look it up later. Yeah. Or watch the black and white on Criterion. Uh, that's a good call. It looks really good in black and white, actually. So, yeah. Something I saw for the first time earlier this week was uh, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I watched that for the first time a couple years ago. Yeah, me too. That's a good I movie. thought it was really solid. Mm-hmm. It's really fun, and he does a lot of weird things that it just moves through like i think narratively it's not it's it's kind of a mess but it allows him to do like a lot of fun things with like practical effects and makeup and all that stuff so yeah i was I, i i i had thought about it recently because someone on twitter was saying how it's like his last good movie and i feel like i probably agree with that yeah, it's solid. We're big Carpenter fans mm-hmm. on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else new, Core? Yeah, you know what I just watched? What? Pretty Pickle. All right. 
Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. Does that make me weird? <laughs> no. It makes you a, a good host. <laughs> yeah, tell us about your shorts. Well, I am glad you enjoyed it. I think that's actually how I found out about your podcast because you all were talking with the Not Your Final Girl mm-hmm. girls, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so, Sarah, you had seen it at Chattanooga? Yes. So, yeah, no, uh, very flattered and delighted whenever people like it. I also understand when people don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you put something out there like that, you kind of, uh, yeah, you hope for the best. You hope that sort of people understand what you're going for and that it's not an autobiographical tale. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's a tough concept and- for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, some of it is like, you know, I did base some of that in like, you know, my experiences in like modern dating and mm-hmm. like weirdness and without getting into, you know, like the re- reveal because the the short is going to drop online and then live there permanently later this month. So oh, awesome. Hell yeah. Um, I will I will avoid spoiling it. But yeah, I mean, you know, aside from that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I, I wanted to make it relatable until it was like, you know, wildly, hopefully unrelatable yeah. to most people. So, yeah, um, I I really liked it when I watched it. And I, she, Corey and I were talking about it before we started recording. And I said, did it make you go? Ooh. <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I said, me too. And I every time I think about it, I go, ooh. <laughs> So no spoilers, but that's how it made me feel, and I really liked it too. So <laughs> if you're into if you're into saying <laughs> then check it out. <laughs> yeah, there's a two star letterbox review from like one of the screenings like a couple months ago, and it, the the review is just like, "This is really gross, bruh," with a bunch of like U and H's, <laughs> and I'm see, I can't, I can't disagree with that you i would know? say like, can we I... use this <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely screen grabbed it it's in one of my instagram posts yeah because, you know, again when you put something like that out there you just like you know people people will have their opinions it did actually like two days ago win like outstanding screenplay uh in the horror genre at film invasion la so oh, cool. i thought congrats that Thank you. That felt very validating um, because I am not a natural writer, but I wrote the first draft of Pretty Pickle in like, I would say, under two hours and then made some tweaks over the course of a few months. Um, But, you know, the the main structure and ideas were there after like a couple of hours. And um, it is nice that, uh, yeah, people people respond to it, you know, Um, because yeah, it's kind of hard to write something like that and be like, "Oh, who's going to finance this?" And mm-hmm. you know, how am I going to get this made? And you know, um, it's just fun when you meet people who are equally like off kilter that are like so excited to like be a part of a movie like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did a couple shorts before that as well. How did you get into filmmaking and everything? I, you know, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, 
probably since like my preteen years. So, you know, if we're all kind of like very similar in age, um, you know, you probably remember the the sort of like early 90s independent, you know, the 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 ubiquity of independent film mm-hmm. sort of becoming more accessible to us, mm-hmm. right? Um with like the independent film channel channel and the Sundance channel and like, you know, I'm not like a Tarantino bro or anything, but like Tarantino was highly like formative for me yeah. as like a 12 year old, 13 year old. Same thing with like Kevin Smith. Like I can't mm-hmm. remember the last time I watched a Kevin Smith movie, but like clerks, like just the dialogue between like those two filmmakers, I was like, oh, I didn't know like people made movies like this. You know, I was. Yeah. I grew up going to like the multiplex. I grew up in like Miami, Florida. And so, you know, I was only aware of like these big, you know, James Cameron movies and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those kinds of films and like uh, Danny Boyle's first movie, Shallow Grave, Mm -hmm. um, really like, yeah, that that kind of like cemented something for me as a younger person. movies felt a little more doable and accessible yeah. seeing like smaller scale movies, you know? Yeah. The nineties DIY like went everywhere and it was like this rise of the indie filmmaker is like a new kind of personality. And that very much was Tarantino driven and Kevin Smith too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For all the, for all the pros and cons that those like, you know, influences like, you know, uh, led to Mm -hmm. definitely you know it it made me want to go to film school um and so i attended florida state but that film school is so exclusive um and so they accept like 15 kids a year i never ended up yeah i I never ended up ended up getting in so i just studied art and i feel like that was like a blessing for it to work out that way because I was able to sort of like develop myself a little bit as an artist, um, you know, and like the, the sort of visual language that I was drawn to and like take art history classes and like learn more about like, you know, art um, and different aesthetics and movements and all this stuff that I feel like gave me a better appreciation for cinema and how one can be inspired by things um, and should be really like outside of cinema um, mm-hmm. when they are in, when they are bringing, you know, yeah, like all these ideas to um, to cinema because it's such a it's such a complicated beast that I feel like, you know, you're you're doing yourself a disservice um, as an artist if you're only watching like, you know, movies or you're only watching a certain type of movie, yeah. you know. Um, so that said, I mean, I watch, I watch a shit ton of like bad movies and movies that like, I feel like I don't like genre wise that, you know, I think are still like educational to me. Totally. I think that it's interesting what you were saying about having like pulling from these different sources and one of them being this art background, because even though Pretty Pickle is a movie that generates this kind of um, two-star review that you got. There are also a lot of like very striking shots. Yeah, a the lot composition. Of, yeah, like framed really interesting. And um, 
Yeah, I think that that education definitely shows in the way that you made this movie. Thank you. Uh, I I really appreciate that. That means a lot. And it is something that, yeah, I think, um, you know, it is the kind of thing that when you make a horror movie or make any kind of movie, there's obviously like so many decisions and so many of them, um, you know, are critical. And I feel like it definitely would not have been as impactful a movie or sort of like uh, imbue a level of seriousness along with the deadpan comedy that mm-hmm. like worked so well had we not made the decision to go in black and white yeah. and even like four, three, you know, shooting mm-hmm. in that aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks really interesting. I really enjoy- I enjoyed my second viewing a lot. I still made this had the same reaction. <laughs> so that's great. Holds up. <laughs> Thank you. Well, shout out to my uh, amazing DP, uh, yeah. Chris Rahano, who actually he shot the uh, the opening Chicago uh, skyline sequences uh, for the new Candyman. Oh, cool. So that like foggy day where they just apparently like went out and like, you know, shot that stuff upside down. Um, yeah, he's he's got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> good team. Absolutely. So you talked about you kind of uh, like different genres and in this short you kind of combine genres as well. Do you normally have like a horror focus or is it just you're interested in all types of films? You know, I watch like any kind of film. I have made like anything, you know, from like indie sort of like uh like the first film I made, and I think this is a lot of like true for a lot of filmmakers um, around my age, was it like a mumblecore uh-huh. like thing about like two twenty something like uh, strangers living in the city who get together, and it's more of like um, like an indie rom com the uh-huh. way that like those mumblecore films like can be, and so I was like inspired by that stuff at the time, and it's also like it was you know easy to do for cheap with like uh non non-professional actors but like um I think pretty shortly after that I started moving into the horror space and I don't always operate in that but like I I went with like a true crime sort of uh like 70s throwback uh psychological horror movie after that that was based on the Pappen sisters um from like 19 19- 1930s France who were housemaids that like murdered their um you know their clients and uh uh pulled the eyeballs out of the mom and child and placed them in their laps and when the authorities found them they were in the the master or the primary bedroom of you know this family like naked together in bed even though they were siblings so it's fascinating. So I did, I, I sort of like was deeply inspired by that and made sort of um, a weird horror movie based on that. And from there I went into um, something that was more of like uh, sort of like, um, have you, have you guys seen the Duke of Burgundy? No, no. So that's, that's a Peter Strickland film that I would, highly recommend that's like a throwback to like 70s euro erotica Mm. 
that sort of is like revisionist in nature in that like it, you know, sort of um, tries to, you know, remove itself like heavily from the male gaze and like, you know, uh, the focus is much more on like the agency of the two uh, female leads. And so that was something that I was interested in. I'm still interested in, but at the time, um, you know, that inspired me to make a similar uh, short with um, a non-binary trans performer, Cam Damage, um, and a, a second performer um, who is actually a industry makeup artist who had never been in a movie before named Melissa Vento. And so that's kind of a flick that culminates in like Shibari rope bondage. Oh, cool. Um but the whole sort of like conceit of that film is like uh, a woman reaches out to the first wife of her now dead husband. So she's a widower essentially saying like, hey, I was married to your ex-husband and now neither of us are married to him because he's dead. And then they it's an epistolary in that they start exchanging mm -hmm. letters and those letters get progressively like more erotic until, um, you know, they decide to meet up. Um, and so that's available online, too. That is not quite horror, but there are dark elements to that that I think. Um, I don't know. I feel like it ends a little more like hopefully than maybe like <laughs> a pretty pickle or even that violets. Awesome. The, yeah. What's the name of yeah. that one? That one's called Library Hours. Okay. And so that one was at Outfest um, in Los Angeles in like 2018. And uh, that, interestingly enough, even though it is like, that movie is like so unpopular with men. Like if you look at like, <laughs> if you look at like who votes it down on IMDb mm -hmm. and the demographics, like, yeah, um, men my age just think it's like a load of crap, but whatever. Um, because <laughs> that's, partially why i made it right because i'm like i'm like this cis male filmmaker who like should be probably like you know people expect me to be making this a certain kind of movie and i'm like not interested in mm -hmm. making that certain kind of movie so i'd rather explore these other things but also like you know be respectful of the fact that like i'm like also like trying to work within a space um that is maybe like you know not my lived experience and mm -hmm. so it was it was really cool to be able to like um be a, be part of such a like prestigious shorts program um like the erotic shorts program in Outfest um and that actually opened some doors for me in terms of getting a uh limited series partially financed with development money that I'm working on right now. Um, that's kind of on hold because of the writer's strike, but that mm -hmm. one is like a throwback to like seventies neo-noirs. Um, oh, cool. Which is kind of like my co-creator and I, Lily Park, uh, we're, we're doing a little bit of like a revisionist thing with that as well. Right. Because like um, I love movies like Clute and um, mm -hmm. Night Moves and, you know, but I, and uh, what's the other one? The Long Goodbye. The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think the common thread with those, like, is they're great. And I think they're hilarious because, like, the de detective often doesn't do, like, much detectiving. Mm -hmm. Detectiving, they all, like, kind of accidentally find <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, really good what... at stumbling into, into situations. Yeah. And so they're kind of like losers and fuck-ups in that way. And we we really wanted to have, like, a 
a female protagonist that gets to do the same thing because like you know they're usually like people hate when women are not perfect but if mm-hmm. they're too perfect they're mary sues right mm-hmm. and so we we really wanted like this fuck up of a person um who is female to like drive this series and that's kind of like what we're working on right now and i just i shot a proof of concept for that um in january and we finished it up in may and now like essentially we finished it up a week before the writer's strike so we were having this discussion about like you know potentially optioning this tv show that um you know came most you know at least 50 percent but more came from my brain so that's really exciting but you know cool but you know it's like there's a writer's strike so i can't really like (laughs) cross the picket line yep. um, by doing business. So like the timing for me um, is poor and I kind of would have liked to have like, you know, that kind of would have been like the biggest thing that um, I would have gotten into in my career and may still be, you know, whenever the strike is resolved. Yeah. So. That's really cool. I mean, speaking of the dude, right? Like men have that figure. I want that too. <laughs> The dude. Yeah. He's yeah. in a, a neo-noir. So. Right, right. Jelly shoes and all. So, Jim, you picked our movie this week. An interesting choice on a slasher list. That's right. <laughs> Every episode, we pick a movie from the Letterboxd list. Every 80s slasher, an attempt by John Hillman. A movie this episode is the classic slasher. <laughs> Cobra from 1986. Jim, why did you pick this movie? Uh, Well, I have a pretty long-standing relationship with Cobra. My parents took me to see this movie when I was six years old. Wow. (laughs) What a day. And so if you have seen Cobra, which you you both clearly have, but Mm -hmm. if, you know, the listeners have seen Cobra, you know that it's like there's a six-year-old has no business watching no. <laughs> Cobra. Um, but I did, and I was terrified and fascinated. And, you know, as I got older, you know, I would... The movie pops up on, like, you know, would pop up on, like, Superstation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just kind of get the opportunity to see Cobra once. It's it's on, it's on like, Max right now. So that's where I rewatched it? it for the episode. Yeah. Um but again, like I, I have been watching this movie for literally most of my life. Yeah. And um, I think every time I see it, it's just more and more fascinating what a chimera of not not just a slasher movie, but it's also like the most 80s cop like trope filled mm-hmm. movie. You know, it makes sense that both of these things are fused into one Stallone movie that is also produced by the two canon yeah. film. Uh, folks and I feel like all of that is a perfect storm for just yeah like um, yeah one of the most like 80s movies you could ever like if you were trying to like explain the 80s to an alien I think Cobra would have to be part of the conversation because it's just so like um, it's just so of its time in a crazy way that is like hard to match you know it could almost be satire but it is very sincere. Yeah, sincere in a way that like, yeah, if if Dirty Harry was the 70s, this is like the 80s answer to it, right? <laughs> um, 
because everything is just like turned up to 11. Um, and I think, yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways, it definitely like, you know, the slasher element was like, you know, influential on some level to me because it is like, um, you know, they're like these legitimately scary moments. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, the sort of true crime adjacent component to it where, um, you know, there's like a serial killer and, you know, uh, so the, you know, um, the, the, the fact that like, uh, they call him the night slasher. And so it's like, you know, this not, uh, not too dissimilar name from like Richard Ramirez yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, so, it yeah, gave me no. a little, wait a minute. And then I was like, no, <laughs> the night stalker is different. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think all of those things like definitely factored into my wanting to pick it also because like, I feel like the weirdest thing about this movie, which also is like the best piece of trivia about it to me is that like, this was going to be Beverly Hills cop or at yeah. least Stallone wanted it to be <laughs> yeah. Beverly Hills cop. And so it, it says something about where he was like ego and career wise at the time that yep. he was, they were like, let's do this comedy with you. And he's like, oh, I want to, you know, make a slasher movie or whatever. Um, and it's just like, the fact that like he made Cobra and he is credited with the screenplay and that's the movie he wanted mm -hmm. to do is Beverly Hills Cop is just so wild. I know. <laughs> yeah, he was originally signed on as the star of Beverly Hills Cop and did extensive rewrites on the script. The studio said, we will absolutely not pay for this. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, well, somebody will. <laughs> and, and it was the canon. The it canon was the folks. canon group. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because I think also Warner Brothers was involved, but they're not. It's weird because it's not a canon film, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the Golan and Globus dudes are credited, but yeah. I think it's technically a Warner Brothers yeah. film. So again, it's one of these things where it's like just a series of like, we don't know what this movie. It's like such a hybrid in so many ways. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, yeah, I had a little bit about this towards the end about Stallone and the way that he writes movies, he kind of writes movies that are hybrids a little bit. I don't know. We can talk about it after we talk about this <laughs> whole movie. <laughs> I mean, if, if it, like, yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about like Rocky yeah. or something. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. He's like a capable writer, yeah. I guess. Uh, it depends, you know, to varying degrees of success, depending on the genre, I guess. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Rocky, Rocky, I think was special because it was very much like a hybrid, absolutely not in the same way, but it, yeah. you're right that like, you're right that the approach, like kind of the ethos is maybe there, the mm -hmm. idea of like combining elements from different genres. And you can kind of tell in his writing, like where he is personally too, because in Rocky, he is this guy who's like really needing a break when he writes this on a legal pad <laughs> you know and in in cobra he's a guy who can say well fuck your script to the studio and he says i don't need the rules <laughs> and then neither does cobra so yeah no no due process no due process you know? Just fuck it i'm i'm making this insane movie that is probably you know both steroid and cocaine fuel yeah <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's so Reagan era. Yeah. In like so many ways, both <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes and narratively. And, and you know, also in giant portraits of Ronald Reagan depicted on screen. <laughs> just can't, hard to miss. <laughs> he should be like credited with a cameo. Uh, yeah. It's like that, <laughs> that prominently featured. Yeah. Um, I have a little personal Cobra history. I grew up. When I was growing up, there was a space in our hallway outside the living room where you could see the TV, but my dad couldn't see you. And so, like, we would sit there and watch what my dad was watching. And that's how I saw Cobra. Um, the only thing I remembered, though, was a scene with Cobra riding a motorcycle through a plate glass window decorated for Christmas that never fucking happens in the movie. <laughs> so I am like, what was I watching that I thought was Cobra all this time? I don't know. I don't expect either one of you to know, but I I kept going, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Cobra's going to ride that motorcycle through the window. And they never did. So you got like a Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. About it must Cobra. have been. And there was a second scene too that we don't even really talk about um, with a nurse that gets grabbed from underneath a bed that I have a very like vivid memory of seeing from that same spot in the hallway where I wasn't supposed to be watching TV seeing a scene so scary that it traumatized me for life. And it was with a nurse getting her legs grabbed underneath the bed and she gets yanked under the bed. And in my memory, one of her legs gets ripped off and an alien did it. But I've been watching movies ever since then trying to figure out what fucking movie that was. Never have been able to figure it out. When that came on, I was like, oh my God, is this it? <laughs> was I like conflating things? Because I was like terrified of alien abduction when I was a kid. And it was like, Real big, like, alien TV heyday, War of the Worlds, V, right? And so, like, maybe I was just putting these two things together that I saw from that. And I don't know. But this is the closest I've ever come is, is that scene. So so you, you, think it, you think, like, at least part of that memory is definitely from Cobra. I think it, it has to be. It's the only thing I've yeah. ever seen that is even remotely close to that thing that is, like, so seared in. I don't know. I watching Cobra has been a real lesson for me in the you can't trust your memory. fallibility <laughs> of our memories. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I definitely never want to be like accused of anything where there's like eyewitness yeah. testimony, right? Because yeah. then Sarah might be like, "Well, he was an alien under a bed." Say, I a, saw him. He rode that motorcycle yeah. through the plate glass window. <laughs> I will swear on it right now. <laughs> Yeah, all this time I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen Cobra. I remember this one scene with the fucking motorcycle. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe my. Maybe it was in an ad for it. That's what I was thinking <laughs> because, as we'll also talk about, a lot of stuff was cut from this movie originally. Mm. So maybe, maybe it was in an ad for it. And me, I had never seen this movie until the end of last year. We were actually going to do this last mm -hmm. December. Mm -hmm. because it does take place during Christmas That's right. time. Ho, ho, ho. It's Christmas in July. Yeah. So we saved it for July. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, before we get into Cobra, should we establish where we all land on the Die Hard question? Okay. I think we've talked about it before. <laughs> is it a Christmas movie? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I think it is. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand. Um, I don't. Either. I think the, this the movie is a Christmas movie. Uh, well, the Christmas vibes in this movie are very much by design, set design, <laughs> because it was filmed at Christmas time, and they said, 
we can't tear all this shit down. <laughs> and then we're like, all right, make it Christmas time. Yeah, that's what it feels like, right? So the holiday does not factor no. into the plot at all, whereas mm-hmm. Die Hard, yes. uh, unmistakably a Christmas movie, right? Yes. Because because that is why the movie happens. Yes, that's what that's I always literally, say. That's literally why he's fucking flying to Los Angeles. Know. You know, the New York cop who, like, you know, does not want to be there. Yeah. Um, and there's a holiday that, like, why I mean, else there's... would you be at work right now? <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. No, I agree. I'm glad we're all in agreement on this. Yeah. If you yeah. don't agree, don't call in and tell us because <laughs> honestly, I've heard it all and I won't be swayed. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're we're not interested in that. We're not interested in the due process of hearing your no. opinion about Die Hard not being a Christmas movie. We are the uh, overruled. We are the, yeah. <laughs> we are the uh, what's his name, Marion Marion Cabretti. Marion Cabretti of this of this opinion. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to hear it. We're gonna put all you sickos behind bars. That's right. <laughs> we're gonna light you on fire in a, a steel mill. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> All the anti diehard people are going to come clanging big candy canes together. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not again. Wise, wise men in mangers. And, you know. <laughs> All right. Cobra was directed by George P. Cos- Cosmatis. He also directed Rambo First Blood Part 2. Leviathan and Tombstone. I was like, what? Tombstone? Good for him. Tombstone's great. And I love Leviathan. Well, everyone involved in Cobra says that Stallone was the real director of this movie. And that when Stallone wasn't there directing, that this guy was a real asshole. (laughs) So (laughs) that he didn't try any of that with Kurt Russell. Cobra stars Sylvester Stallone, as if you couldn't tell by our impressions. (laughs) Those were not Arnold's. As Cobra, uh, Bridget Nielsen as Ingrid Knudsen. Uh, she and Stallone were very famously married at this time, and she later had another very public romance with a co-star when she dated Flava Flav. So she clearly has a type. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rennie Santoni as Gonzalez. He was Chico in Dirty Harry. There's that Dirty Harry connection. And Poppy, the chef who didn't wash his hands and then peed on Jerry's couch in Seinfeld. (laughs) And also we have Brian Thompson as the Night Slasher. He is in the Terminator as one of the two guys Arnold takes clothes from. He's Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And he's in the Three Amigos as one of the Germans. He has a very distinctive face and you would definitely recognize him if you saw him. That's and it. there's a there's another uh, dirty hairy uh, player, Andrew Robinson, the oh, guy yeah. who is Detective Monty, mm-hmm. like the the Scorpio killer, like the Zodiac killer knockoff from the first Dirty Harry. That's right. Which is wild, and he's also Garrick the Cardassian in Deep Space Nine. So we were talking about that he has <laughs> typical '80s man face in this movie, like. <laughs> Dads just looked like this at the time. My dad looked like this, and my dad laid asphalt. But for some reason, he had these round glasses, and I don't know. Looked just like this guy. 
Yeah, it's like a Clarence Boddicker energy from RoboCop, right? Mm -hmm. Like the guy who ends up being the dad in that 70s show, but mm -hmm. he has that 80s Kurt, scowl. Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. 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 Uh, what, what did we say Morgan Fairchild was? A classic 80s lady? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is him. <laughs> He's got resting 80s dad face. 100%. Um, besides... Stallone's rewrites of the Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> script that he pulls from for Cobra. Uh, this movie is also a loose adaptation from a novel by Paula Gosling called A Running Duck. This novel was later republished under the title Fair Game and was made into another movie with the same title starring Billy Baldwin and Cindy Crawford. And I fucking died when I realized what movie that was because... There's one thing that really sticks in my mind for some reason. It is overly hyped box office bombs from the 90s. <laughs> Legendary bomb. Yeah. Did you see it? Uh, I have seen it. I could tell you nothing about it. <laughs> except for that it was bad. <laughs> well, I feel like neither, if you if you just like, just simply by looking at the plot of Cobra and the plot of Fair Game, the movie, it looks, it sounds like neither of them actually like have much to do with the book. No. Yeah, I, I did some like, you know, very uh, preliminary good reads uh, looking <laughs> up of uh, Fair Game, which was called like Running Duck prior to uh -huh, that. So it actually duck, has like yeah. two titles, which is weird. I think the only common thread that I've been able to glean, like not having not seen Fair Game and having not read uh, the book is that all three things are just about like a man protecting a yeah. woman who is like trying to be assassinated. Yeah. Or like someone is trying to assassinate her. Um, that's, that's all I got. Well, you just need a kernel of an idea and at least one Baldwin brother and a supermodel. Yeah. Um, Stallone allegedly wanted the source novel reissued with himself as the author. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she was like, no, thank you. I mean, if you look at the books from that era, like the the word cobra is so big on the the on the cover of that book I oh think really it like, oh overshadows i feel like yeah i feel like it's almost bigger than like the title why that had to put people in for some disappointment <laughs> they were like yeah. finally the novelization of cobra <laughs> been dying to read this no one's slapping axes together in this book <laughs> It doesn't seem like this uh, cover shoot was very easy. Stallone's huge ego made him difficult to work with and unpredictable. And when he wasn't on set, like, for example, when the villain finally gets his big monologue at the end, um, Brian Thompson had to do it with the script girl because Sly was watching a basketball game. Um, like we said, the director was off also difficult to work with. Um, but in any event, they ended up with a movie that was over two hours long and so violent. It originally earned an X rating. It was cut extensively to get the R rating. Then it was cut again when Stallone and Warner Brothers became worried that the just released Top Gun would overshadow Cobra. So Stallone, <laughs> this is so funny to me. Stallone went to work cutting plot and scenes involving characters other than his own. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Bring us all the way down to the hour and 27 minutes we are left with here. 
Really, though, like, you know, I, I know his intention was was uh, not laudable, but I do feel like it is probably for the better that he cut out so many other characterizations. Yeah. Although I did want to know more about that uh, that guy whose uh, shirt he rips open. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we can talk some more about that guy because I didn't want to talk about him at first, but then I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I got to talk about him. <laughs> Okay, are we ready to start a... Breaking down. To start breaking this down? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Warner Brothers presents a Canon Group Incorporated Golan Globus production, Sylvester Stallone in voiceover. In America, there is a burglary every 11 seconds, an armed robbery every 65 seconds, a violent crime every 25 seconds, a murder every 24 minutes and 250 rapes a day. <laughs> I think he made all this up. <laughs> Boom. Questionable stuff. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like he could have just lumped some of that in together. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Barrel of a gun. Bang. A bullet shoots out headed straight towards us. Slam. Cobra in bold red font on a black background. Uh, the Rambo font. <laughs> Clang. The movie opens with apocalyptic shots of a lone biker with a mysterious tattoo and a group of people in a subterranean location clanking axes together over their heads. Their lair is marked by the same symbol tattooed on the biker, a skull and crossbones, except the bones are crossed axes. <laughs> a skull and cross axes. <laughs> Cobra is already full of surprises for me because you see the silhouette of a biker guy rolling through and you're like, all right, here comes Cobra. Twist it, some other guy. The biker rolls up to a grocery store bustling with a holiday crowd and parks in a handicap spot so you know he's a true degenerate. Inside, he ignores all the grocery clerks and their offers to help and instead takes out a shotgun and starts blasting. The lettuce, the bin of frijoles. Please, sir, no, not the New York seltzers. <laughs> yes, even the New York seltzers. He also kills a guy by blasting his ass into a very patriotically decorated Christmas tree. After a failure of negotiations between the armed gunmen and law enforcement, the LAPD makes a decision to call the Cobra. So the cops take out a little flute. <laughs> And play hypnotic and exotic tune. That'd be great. That's how they called it. I wish that they had. <laughs> the Cobra. <laughs> then the Cobra whips up in the absolute last thing you would expect. A low to the ground, heavy body, gray 1950 Mercury Monterey with a license plate that reads Awesome 50. <laughs> I could not have been more stunned. <laughs> this is a double whammy because I wasn't just expecting a motorcycle. I also never would have expected that car. The Mercury, that, of course, is Stallone's real car. <laughs> is that supposed to be like 50? Like I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, 50 because it's a 1950 Mercury. Oh, okay, <laughs> that makes more sense. Awesome 50. <laughs> <laughs> no, he probably was like. It means two things. <laughs> that's that's his that's his writing uh yeah, his writing skill at this point. 
Man, look at him still surprising us. I also would not be surprised if they were like, no, we wanted to put Cobra in like a really cool 80s sports car, yeah. right? And he was like, no, I have this really slow, beautiful car <laughs> that you really you have to have a whole lifestyle to maintain. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the, the fact that they had to build like three other I ones to, uh, to do the stunts where it's just like this, this car is just like dragging along, like barely getting these getting through these stunts this car caught me on my heels i i was stunned i was howling (laughs) when he pulled up in this lieutenant cabretti a member of an elite division known as the zombie squad steps out chewing on his trademark soggy matchstick cabretti addressed by his code name cobra infiltrates the store locates and negotiates with the gunman. I got a bomb. I'll blow this whole place up. Go ahead. I don't shop here. (laughs) (laughs) Who threatens him by speaking of a vague and unknown organization known as the New World, a supremacist group that despises modern society and believes in killing the weak, leaving only the strongest and smartest to rule the world. Yeah. Before we move on, I just want to talk about this grocery store. Oh, yeah. Had some cool stuff in it. Outside, they had this, like, coin-operated little frog ride. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thought that was cool. Yeah. And then this mesmerizing Pepsi advertisement. Yeah. It looked like a giant um, cup of Pepsi, like, dripping down. Yeah, like a can pouring. And, yes. like, the pouring motion was just, like, this nonstop light. Yeah, I'm a Coke girly, but I would display that in my living room. I mean, it was really tragic that they that that got blasted away. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Pepsi is like throughout this whole movie. There is a staggering amount of product placement in this movie, Coke and Pepsi. Oh wow, yeah. And also, there's a uh, there's a cameo of Pepsi Free. I don't know if you caught that. That was like the Diet Coke alternative mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Toys R Us. <laughs> There's a Toys R Us commercial that also oh, yeah. brought the memories flooding back. I was like, I remember <laughs> this Christmas, Christmas commercial. commercial. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So, yeah. Um, uh, Coors, Butterfinger. <laughs> he was holding that fistful of Butterfingers. Like, Gummy Bears got a shout out. Yeah. 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 But Pepsi really put some money in here. Coke, they just got a little shot of them drinking a can of Coke. But Pepsi got... This giant in-store advertisement and the huge neon outside of Cobra's apartment. So that's why he wears those mirrored sunglasses. Oh yeah, I yeah I uh, am am actually impressed that you don't really get the obligatory like crew or camera shots in those giant mirrored sunglasses. I'm impressed too. I look for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I look for it as well. So when the gunman says he's a hero of the new world, Cobra says, you're a disease and I'm the cure. <laughs> then he kills the gunman by throwing a knife at his abdomen and shooting him dead. Uh, major, major kudos to everyone involved in the making of this movie for not having Cobra say, clean up on aisle 10. <laughs> um, Sarah, don't give him too much credit just yet. <laughs> We're just getting started. <laughs> As the hostages and bodies are removed from the store, Cobra is admonished by another officer, Detective Monty, for his seeming disregard for police procedures and protocols. He is also hassled by the press with typical gotcha questions like, 
Did you use unnecessary deadly force? And isn't everyone entitled to a trial instead of execution by extrajudicial police squads? Adeline. (laughs) You know the type. Cobra retorts that they're failing to prioritize the safety of potential victims. Little does everyone realize at the time that the supermarket hostage crisis is only one of a string of recent and seemingly unconnected acts of violence and murder that have broken loose in Los Angeles. Perpetrated by the same supremacist group, the supermarket gunman mentioned. I feel like Stallone wrote this movie after he was the victim of a crime and maybe it didn't work out in a way that he liked (laughs) because he's got a real, something really stuck in his craw. We have this little before the next thing happens where we see Cobra at his apartment and Uh he pulls up to his little studio on Venice and first he meets the fakest Mexicans that I've personally ever seen. (laughs) I was offended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what other guy, the lead fake Mexican Cholo is smoking a cigarette and Cobra says to him, it's bad for your health. And the guy goes, what is pinche? And I was like, pinche what? Where are we going here? So he doesn't say pinche though. He says, pinche? I don't know. I can't even do the bad accent. What is pinche? Like basically like that. And Stallone says, I am and then rips this guy's shirt, like, clean down the front. And at first I thought, oh, he's wearing a wire. Oh, we're going to get to this. This guy's also a cop, too. It's not. It's just a mic pack <laughs> taped to his <laughs> chest. And they were like, leave it in. It's fine. And then he goes up to his apartment. First he throws a newspaper on a barbecue because he doesn't care about the free press. <laughs> goes in his apartment, <laughs> takes out of the freezer one slice of pizza, and sits down to eat it in a very strange way. <laughs> Daintiest, daintiest little <laughs> serving size. Dainty. He's all. I just want the tip of the pizza slice. <laughs> the only for, good for piece. someone named the Cobra. <laughs> yeah, he you know he takes some scissors and he snips <laughs> off just the bottom triangle of his pizza. Gonna yeah. save the rest his carbs. <laughs> yeah, probably. I can only imagine he freezes it to make it easier to cut like that. Right. The gun cleaning kit in a uh, egg cart. Yes. Also, so many bizarre decisions in that scene. Even down to the way he uh, like, like sort of like whips the remote at his little television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We keep getting this specific shot of Cobra aiming the remote like he's gonna fire a gun, but we're looking down the barrel of his clicker <laughs> instead. He's which he needs gloves. Yes, news, apparently. Yeah, my friend and I was watching it with the first time. We we're watching it. We we're watching it. She goes, "Wait, is he wearing gloves in his apartment?" <laughs> he is. <laughs> Never takes them off. He's like, oh, well, "It's this- almost like." Uh, sorry, go ahead. I said he was gonna like. He's like, "Oh, this Toys R Us commercial. I love this commercial." <laughs> and left it there. <laughs> What's well, weird because it's almost it, going back to his 1950s car. Mm-hmm. I feel like. The 80s was like really into the 50s yes. and it's almost like he, he is styled similarly with like his um sort of like pushed up jacket mm-hmm. those gloves and his Henley um so they I don't call know him a those... fugitive from the 50s at one point like, yeah his partner does yeah oh I didn't catch that <laughs> I've seen it so many times yet so many so many it got in there to still learn yeah it got in there that's what made you think <laughs> of it Absolutely. Yeah, he's driving a real fucking rock this town. (laughs) 
Rock this just town, so, Brian Setzer Mobile. Just so gas inefficient. I know. <laughs> this has got to be costing the LAPD an arm and a leg to gas this thing up. Yeah. Just billing his mileage. Yeah. yeah. And the car washes and the waxes, the detailing. It's the only right. way they can get them. Yep. So that night, a coffee shop waitress is brutally attacked by a group in pantyhose mask wielding the same unique blade used in the other murders. A specially made knife just for this movie. Mm-hmm. Her murder really sticks in Cobra's craw. He doesn't understand why they have to play by the rules when the criminals don't. But the big nerd detective Monty is adamant that Cobra doesn't get involved in this case because they can't have internal affairs jumping down their throats. The next night, the same group of weirdos, uh, a woman and a couple of men, attack a random woman after intentionally rear-ending her at a secluded traffic light. Model and businesswoman Ingrid Knudsen... Knudsen, she makes a point of saying it. Okay, <laughs> Knudsen, the K is not silent. No, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Which is funny, because she is Dutch, and I feel like Stallone was like, let me come up with the most Dutch character name <laughs> and have her, have her mispronounce it. Yeah, they say, is it Knudsen with a K? And she's like, mm-hmm. It's like pinch, pinchy. Pinchy. <laughs> the Stallone attention to detail yeah. here. I know languages. Yeah. <laughs> So she has the bad luck to drive by the scene as the cult members and their leader, the Night Slasher, are handling the body. After slowing down long enough to make full eye contact with the Night Slasher, she fucking floors it and takes off with the group in pursuit of their van. They don't catch her, and she becomes the New World's priority target. At the station, we see the search being done on the license plate of the woman who witnessed the cult killing on the street. Uh-oh, the cop looking up the information is the same woman from the cult. This lady goes straight to work from participating in a randomized cult <laughs> killing. First, I thought this was like a couple days later, but uh -huh. it's not. She's like, she must have done this cult killing on the way to work. Like yeah. she was like, just drop me off at the station. So does this cult thing count as a second job or is it a hobby or? Hey, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> Well, I hope she likes being a cop because if not, she is working at least those hours. <laughs> yeah, that creates some uh, confusion with the IRS, I'm sure, because yeah. you know, the, the, the New World Order thing is probably freelance. Yeah. So now all our players are in place. Cobra and his junk food loving partner, Sergeant Tony Gonzalez, hit the pea-soaked streets of Hollywood to interrogate every sex worker and tattoo artist they can find for some reason. <laughs> While Ingrid does a photo shoot involving giant <laughs> silver robots <clears throat> and the cult members clang their axes together in a dry swimming pool some more. Every so often during this montage, we also get extreme close-ups on Stallone's bedroom eyes. And I do not know why. Like to show that he's thinking, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. After a failed attempt on her life, Ingrid is placed under the protective custody of Cobra and his partner. While they question her and do police sketches at the hospital, the Night Slasher and his policewoman execute a plot to get Ingrid that starts with this guy dyeing his dirty blonde hair and inky black. Um, he's supposed to be intellectually superior, yet he thinks it's his hair color she remembers and not his very distinctive shovel face. <laughs> <laughs> and he also wears glasses as, as a disguise, like he doesn't have the biggest fucking jaw you ever saw in your life. 
Later, as Cobra checks his new info gathered from Ingrid against his files from home, the Night Slasher, in his new disguise, infiltrates the hospital where Ingrid is sleeping unguarded after a phony call from headquarters sent Cobra's partner back to the station. Cobra and Gonzalez figure out they've been tricked when Gonzalez calls Cobra from Cobra's office in front of his huge framed photo of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Should have just been a cardboard cutout. I know. So uh, the police hurry back to the hospital, but not before the night slasher can attack Ingrid. She escapes, and when Cobra arrives, she rushes into his arms. Do you, do you, either of you remember the show from this same year called Sledgehammer? Um, yes, but only because Jason had to remind me. So, but the, so the sleazy photographer mm-hmm. who's like trying to sleep with Knudsen, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who, who meets a quick, uh, demise, uh, is that, is that guy that's yeah. David, David Rash. And it's funny because that, that also centered around a gun with a very like prominent uh, custom handle. Oh yeah, Cobra's got his little Cobra. Did yeah. this have a sledgehammer on it? <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's very literal. Yeah, it's sledgehammer. <laughs> Although that one was also like uh, you know self-effacing. Like I remember that show like having action, but also kind of being funny, sure. like a little slapsticky. Whereas you know, Cobra's just unintentionally funny. <laughs> When I think Sledgehammer, I think Peter Gabriel. Me too. <laughs> Hell yeah. So following a car chase sequence involving the cult that truly has to be seen to be believed, I almost <laughs> don't want to talk about what happens because like, you really have to watch this. Like, It somehow goes from downtown LA to Long Beach to Venice to San Pedro and every delightful minute was unpredictable. And now <laughs> I'm just like, fuck it. I want to talk about it. Like, one part has Cobra spin the Merc into reverse and floor it backwards while he fires at his pursuers with his submachine gun. (laughs) Um, Nicholas Winding Refn said that Cobra was a big inspiration for his movie Drive with Ryan Gosling. And Gosling drives this exact thing in the movie. And he also has, like, he doesn't have a soggy match or soggy soggy (laughs) matchstick. Yeah, he has the toothpick. And I guess... uh... Bridget Nielsen was his like sister-in-law at some point. Reffins. Oh, really? Yeah, which is super weird overlap there as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, this car chase is really fun. It is fucking wild. I cannot believe how many pl- things they throw this <laughs> giant car off of. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it goes a long time. It takes <laughs> a lot. <laughs> You really feel the weight of it throughout the whole thing as well. They drive it out the second floor of a parking garage, (laughs) and boy, like a fucking brick. (laughs) And the Venice Canal's going over the bridges, and like every high point on the hills, it just catches so much air. I said jokingly, because so many crazy things were happening to my friend, hit the Nas Cobra, (laughs) and then fucking guess what the fuck? Standard issue in a 1950 <laughs> Mercury, the Nas. Yeah, they go all over town in just under five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're hitting the Nas core. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Zero traffic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why people complain about LA traffic. I know. It's obviously <laughs> fine. 
<laughs> Cobra's like, oh no, and he buckles her in with like a fucking racing harness, but he <laughs> puts one on too. And I was like, what does he do to this? Ca- what did he do to this car? <laughs> it's fucking crazy. You, there's a, it's online. We'll post it. It's mm-hmm. wild. You got to watch it. It's so fun. It's so fun. French Connection, Cobra. That's it. <laughs> That's the hierarchy. Yep. So Cobra theorizes that there is an entire army of killers operating with the same modus operandi rather than a lone serial killer with some associates. But his suggestion is rebuffed by his superiors. He's like, I just know. Yeah, they're like, how do you know? (laughs) I just know. (laughs) However, the LAPD agrees with Cobra that it will be safest if he and Knudsen (laughs) relocate from the city. I know, Corey, it's wrong. It's not right. (laughs) She's just shaking her head every time we say it that way. I know. It's okay. I wonder if, uh, you know, Cobra's detectiving was more apparent. I don't I don't know why they would cut that out because it yeah. is, you know, it is about Cobra, so they obviously he wouldn't have wanted that cut out. It was either that or not. cutting the pizza and he's like pizza. Got to keep the pizza. <laughs> Pizza's got to that's the primary <laughs> character development. Yeah. But I also I also feel like if maybe so the thing that always jumped out at me as absurd was the fact that like the night slasher has killed 16 victims in a month. Mm-hmm. which is insanely prolific mm-hmm. for a serial killer. So I, f- I feel like all they needed to do was have Cobra say something like that, like that that can't be done by one person. Yeah. <laughs> nope, he never said it, so no. it wasn't in the script. <laughs> it's, it's like Corey said, they just it's yeah. more important that he cuts the pizza with scissors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that they have a robot photo shoot. <laughs> that, that also that... goes on for so long. That was like great no we needed that to establish her character that's that's right he well that they were married at the time right so he was probably just like she looks so hot i can't cut any of these wigs (laughs) (laughs) and also like that's so weird because there's a like a sexy robot in uh rocky four yeah happy birthday polly is his name yeah or her name i'm sorry that is uh polly's wife (laughs) he's this definitely implied that he fucks the robot (laughs) yeah it's the the precursor to uh spike jones is her yes (laughs) (laughs) uh so cobra's mark is toast and i thought okay finally the motorcycle is coming out but no it's just some random truck he doesn't have, Stallone didn't have another cool car <laughs> that he <laughs> wanted to show off, I guess. So on the way to the safe house, Ingrid learns that Cobra's first name is Marion, and they bond over their shared disdain for the Bill of Rights and due process. She says, there's all these crazy people everywhere. Why can't the police just put them away and keep them away? Hey, tell it to the judge. What do you mean? We put them away, they let them out makes me sick like i said you gotta tell it to the judge (laughs) and scene (laughs) have have you all seen tango and cash yes i think that's rambo's vehicle too isn't it or uh stallone sorry (laughs) but i think i I don't know i think it was nicknamed the rambo mobile which is why i said that's why i said it was rambo's car (laughs) but i i'm pretty sure so in in the finale of that, they have like this armored van that him and Kurt Russell are using. And I'm pretty sure that belonged to Stallone too, because he was getting death threats 
around that time, I think, from the Russians because of the depiction of the Russians in mm-hmm. Rocky IV. Oh, mm-hmm. So he he got like an armored vehicle, and I think they used that in Tango <laughs> and Cash. Depiction so, of what? Fucking cool, sexy guys with amazing jaws? Yeah, who, who train like way harder and cooler and more modern oh. than like, you know, uh, Rocky in the snow. Please. You know? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Why does that reflect any of that reflect negatively? Yeah, I know. They should have been like, we love this depiction. <laughs> I mean, you know, they probably just were looking for reasons to threaten Stallone, or he could have like fabricated the entire thing. <laughs> Maybe so, just for a separate episode of uh, Stallone conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> Was Polly fucking the robot? That's one episode. Yeah. <laughs> so Cobra begins to develop feelings for Ingrid shortly after venturing out into the countryside. But Nancy Stock, the New World's second-in-command and right-hand woman, infiltrates the police team escorting Cobra's party and compromises their whereabouts. Cobra does begin to grow suspicious of Nancy, yet he does nothing, and the party spends the night in a motel complex. Things between Cobra and Ingrid become romantic. And this would be where we call back Dick Cobra. (laughs) But we actually have no idea if they have sex or not. We see them kiss once and that's it. I know. The next time we see them, they're like laying in bed together, but they're fully clothed. Yeah, Gen Z Twitter users would fucking love this movie because they don't have unnecessary sex scenes. (laughs) Please take us back to a classier time of trains going through tunnels. (laughs) Um, you can tell the filmmakers just definitely decided to forego nudity in favor of more violence. Like my friend was like, oh, here we're going to see a nipple. And I said, Trina, I fucking guarantee you that we will not see a nipple. They Stallone was like, I don't give a shit about, about that. Nobody is coming to this movie to see a nipple. They're coming to see me blast as many motherfuckers <laughs> as possible. And that's what they're going to get. It, it is notably chaste in that way. Like it yeah. has zero, zero interest in sexualizing anything other than that like insane knife like going oh yeah yeah <clears throat> over mm-hmm. and over um but yeah no absolutely it knows what its priorities are mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's vigilante justice mm-hmm. <laughs> the organization moves in at dawn and besieges a small town now literally everyone is riding a motorcycle <laughs> except for cobra what the fuck is going on here With barely enough time to react, the attackers storm the motel complex. There's fire, a machine gun, grenades. Gonzalez is shot in the process, of course. Of course. Killing several members, but with more swarming into the town, Cobra and Ingrid escape in a pickup truck. While Ingrid drives, Cobra stands in the bed of the truck and mows down cult members. What happens next is another thrilling sequence that could only be described as the Cobra stunt show at Universal Studios. (laughs) When the truck is severely damaged from the chase, the duo cuts through the citrus orchard to escape to a nearby factory with the night slasher and the duplicitous policewoman Nancy Stark leading the remaining cult members after them. Cobra eliminates every New World member in a bunch of imaginatively violent ways. The pinnacle is when he dumps gasoline on a guy, says, you have the right to remain silent, then uses the match he's been chewing on all movie to light this guy's ass up. And like the second you first saw Cobra with the match, you knew he was going to do something cool with it. There it was. 
That's yeah, like Chekhov's match. Yeah, dude. I was like, <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> people you definitely, it. I, uh, you know, even though I was six, I remember people cheering at that scene. Oh, which, I bet. Yeah. They were like, he fucking did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ingrid and Cobra are involved in a series of near misses with the Night Slasher and Nancy until it's time for the Night Slasher's big monologue that really hammers home the whole idea behind the movie. This guy says, You can't stop the new world. Your filthy society will never get rid of people like us. It's breeding them. We are the future. No, Cobra yells and lifts his gun. Your history. You won't do it, pig. You won't shoot. Murder is against the law. <laughs> you have to take me in if you can. Even I have rights, don't I? <laughs> Pig, take me in. Then I'll say I'm insane, won't they? The court is civilized, isn't it, Pig? But I'm not, Cobra replies. <laughs> this is where the law stops, and I start. Sucker. <laughs> Throughout, yes. cap, 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 cap. Throughout this whole movie, I am so embarrassed watching him say some of these lines knowing that he wrote it. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, they're going to cheer in the theater for this one. <laughs> hey, but I know. apparently they did. So Did they cheer for Sucka? I, I, I'm sure they did. Oh, yeah. Actually. Where the law stops and I start. It was pretty rowdy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also I also saw Tombstone in the theater very young as a kid. Um, and that that was a pretty rowdy crowd as well. So how fun. You, know, you got to give you got to give some credit to Cosmatos and not entirely the bad Stallone dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just as Cobra starts blasting, dedicated cult member Nancy attacks him from behind. In the scuffle, the Night Slasher accidentally shoots and kills Nancy. Cobra and the Night Slasher engage in vicious melee combat inside the steel mill, ending with the latter being impaled in the back on a large hook, which transports him screaming into a furnace that burns him alive. And we see, like, all of this. That's where they were like, no tits, giant hook. <laughs> it's so excessive. And also, like, Brian Thompson, is it? Is, uh -huh. is that his name? Yeah. I He plays it so well yeah. for something that is like, God, I just, I envy an actor's ability to be like, this is how my character is dying. Yeah. How, what, what decisions do I make? And uh, it's like it's such a perfect death for as absurd as it is. Yeah. Like not only is he on a hook, he just has to be dragged into mm -hmm. like essentially like a crematorium. Yeah. <laughs> and then he dangles there on that hook on fire for like yeah. so long. And so Stallone, long. he was he was directing that day probably was like, hold the camera. <laughs> <laughs> we cut the boobs for this. <laughs> Zero boobs. Zero boobs. Not even except except for the the fake Mexican. The fake Mexican, yeah. Those are the literally the only nipples seen. What about in the movie. there was some robot nipples? Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that one robot duck, its bill looked like a speculum. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, let's see. After this, the LAPD arrives and begins cleanup of the town, rendering medical aid to Gonzalez. This is when he has to get in his product placement for gummy bears. <laughs> He's all, make sure that's gummy with an eye. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Monty appears apologetic, 
but confronts Cobra again about his lack of regard for police protocols, offering to discuss the issue over a long dinner. He's like, hey, it's no big deal. We're two different types of cops. (laughs) And Cobra's like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Blam! Cobra punches Monty before he and Ingrid ride away on, guess what? (laughs) One of the motorcycles left by the New World. Finally, Cobra rides a motorcycle. Yeah, it's police property now. That's true. I said, he just, they just let him take that? Yeah. Yeah, they let him do whatever he wants. This fool sucker punched him. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. He does whatever he wants. Uh, the, the director of this movie we talked about also directed Leviathan, which has a much funnier end of the movie punching scene, in my opinion. Funnier than this? Yes. <laughs> you got to watch it to believe well, it. This wasn't that funny, so I would believe it. Okay. <laughs> Was there cheers for this? Do you remember? Now I'm dying to know what they were cheering for. God, I I can only I can only remember so much. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they were probably I mean, just the, cheering that's, nonstop. That's why you have uh, someone hit their superior yeah. in any cop movie, right? That's yeah. like uh, the the memorable scene in Point Break when Busey does it, but yeah. he's like a federal agent, and it's like, wow, you're at the FBI and you're still punching your superior. Um, every officer, letter agency, police department, they all get one. <laughs> the union one, one a year. established that like a long <laughs> yeah. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> also, hate to say it, guys, but I'm a law and order 80s Republican now. Sorry. <laughs> they convinced me. Yeah. Got you. Good. Good. Yep. Um, I don't believe in due process. And I think that we should just build more prisons. <laughs> That image of Reagan just hypnotized you. I, I it did, it did. I gotta Death say, penalty all the way. Mm-hmm. I kept getting reminded of another movie we watched for the show, uh, one Ten to Midnight with Charles Bronson. Oh yeah, and I gotta say, I prefer uh, Bronson as a cop that doesn't go by the book. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's so reminiscent of Ten to Midnight in such a weird way. Also, it, it, it's which is weird because it's like. As we've said multiple times, a very non-sexual movie. Mm-hmm. But Ten to Midnight is like kind of the opposite. Like it literally has like a butt-ass naked serial killer. Yeah, that's true. And what's that line with the sex toy? And he says, you know what What does he say? What's this for? <laughs> jacking for on? Jacking off. <laughs> yep. I saw that at a midnight showing. And if, if you want to talk about people howling at, you know, at a movie, that was definitely <laughs> myself included. Yeah. Oh, I bet I would love. I've seen Ten to Midnight three times, and I would love to go watch it again at the movies. Yeah, my my uh, suspension of disbelief issue at Ten to Midnight is that someone uh, that naked running down the street that quickly has got to be just so painful. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, just the sound guys were like, "Are we supposed to? What are we supposed to do here? Right? Yeah." <laughs> Completely. Are we supposed to be? <laughs> um, okay, get out various sausages and salamis. <laughs> and start slapping them around to get the sound of this guy running down the street. <laughs> Some serious Foley artistry. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, I was simply like, you know, just being in my 40s thinking about how that's got to be so bad for like the, you know. Oh, yeah. Barefoot? Yeah. <laughs> No. Knees? Mm -mm. (laughs) Absolutely. 
No. Well, that's Cobra. Yeah. You guys got any overall thoughts on this movie? Um, I've been in a motorcycle cult like this before. <laughs> okay. I mean, not quite. I was in a cult and we did buy the pastor a motorcycle. Not me, <laughs> but my parents. So no axes though, but I bet you mm, they could have talked my mom and dad into it. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, meetings in a drained swimming pool? Uh, not a drained swimming pool, but we used to do baptisms in a hot tub. Oh, wow. And a regular swimming pool in the backyard. So I've been there. I understand how you get wrapped up in a thing like this. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> Their cult is very vague. And yeah. Like, yeah. I like how uh, Wikipedia refers to them as social Darwinists. Uh-huh. I kind of thought well, Darwinism too, yeah. Yeah, but I also feel like it's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, definitely left to other people to interpret it because, you know, Stallone hadn't really given it much thought. Mm-hmm. No. This is my social Darwinism movie. <laughs> <laughs> or N- Nietzschean Ubermensch. Yeah. Maybe, you know? <laughs> Well, I don't know. He already did the Russian Rocky. So maybe he was working off of that. For sure. His uh, working through his robot fetish. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He was like, bring in more fuckable robots. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like when they talk sexy, though. I only need them to be physically sexy. Well, that happy birthday Polly robot got clingy, too. I was like, yeah. Polly, when are you coming home? Remember? And Polly was like, geez, broads. Corey, you don't remember this? No, I, I haven't seen any of the Rocky sequels. Oh, well, Polly fucks a robot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cobra has a body count of 52. Anybody want to take a guess on how many are personally killed by the man himself? Um, 40. Okay. I was going to say 42. 42? 40, 42? Well, 41. Ah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. We the were closest without going over? Of that. Yeah, <laughs> price is right rules. Okay, you win. <laughs> Jim wins. One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, logic would stand because, you know, really, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you you have the, the, the cult set up, right, where they're kind of showing the the early deaths, but I think, yeah, Cobra really just takes it from there. Yeah. And I mean, he's really doing, putting in work in the back of that truck. <laughs> and he's just blasting across the two-lane highway. He is He is cleaning up, cleaning up that city. <laughs> the fake city of San Remo's. <laughs> um, so I want to talk Stallone as a writer a little bit. Um, I am a big fan of the Rocky movies and I do like the way that he writes these characters for himself. Like they take their job seriously, but like they aren't afraid to have a little fun, make some quips. <laughs> um, I think that Rocky is a very funny character. He always has some little fucking joke and half the time you don't hear them or understand them because of the way that Stallone talks. Um, but he's like kind of self-deprecating. And I feel like Cobra is kind of that way, too. Like, she goes, Marion. Like, she's kind of teasing him about his name. And he goes, oh, yeah, I never really liked it. I always wanted something a bit more masculine. 
or a bit tougher. And she goes like, what? He goes like, uh, Alice. <laughs> and it fucking made me laugh. But then he picks up that giant fake hamburger, holds it in front of her and goes, your entree is ready. And she's like, oh, Cobra. And I was like, that wasn't funny, Cobra. <laughs> Cobra's he's, hit or miss with the humor. Yeah, he's but trying. He's, you know, he's, he's dead on with the body count. Yeah. I didn't. That's true. We don't have a joke count for Cobra. I would say Cobra's kill count on his jokes is like, or his percentage is like, I don't know, maybe 80 20. He's a pretty funny guy. Oh, you're generous. I am generous. <laughs> Pretty funny for a cop yeah. who does not believe in due process. Yep. He's essentially just a murderer. Um, No, he is an officer cleaning up the streets, and I believe in him now. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. I like the way Stallone writes these characters for himself. I, I don't know. I like Stallone, I think, overall, uh, of the action guys. I don't know if he's my favorite, but I don't mind Stallone. I like Rocky. I fucking love Rocky. <laughs> Rocky Four is is very fun in a kind of similarly outlandish mm-hmm. way. Um, over the top is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's the right man for the job. <laughs> this movie is a little too on the action side and not enough on the horror side for me. Yeah. Um, I have this thing where if there's a lot of action in a movie, sometimes I just completely zone out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> But I did love that car chase scene. Yeah. I did not zone out. Yeah. I was there the whole time. <laughs> I re- I enjoy an action movie. I know what you mean, though. They can kind of start to blend together, but I, I, I liked the action in this movie. I mean, for your podcast, it definitely, there is like a, a questionable mm-hmm. amount of action, right? And that's, I think, why we're talking about like what a hybrid it feels like because the slasher stuff is like, very scary but it's like just very compartmentalized mm-hmm. yeah and it's not even even necessarily slasher stuff it's cult stuff right which is different we got no pov we know who it is from the beginning yeah like and it's a bunch of people i really do think that this movie slipped in on accident because the guy's name is the night slasher <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true Algor- algorithmically yeah lumped <laughs> in the knife, but beyond his beyond his name, the knife is like the closest we get. I feel yeah, like. yeah. We get some slashing. We do get sometimes. Some that's all you need for it to be on this list. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel like I mean, speaking of ten to midnight, that ten to midnight was more of a slasher mm-hmm. with just the one guy. Totally, and that's <laughs> that's another uh, reason I think why when I uh, reached out to you two, I brought up like. I think I brought up cruising. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like on the list. similar. <laughs> it's similar in that way where yeah. it's like you know, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot more going on than just the the murdering. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I I like it when some sometimes these slip onto the list because it's just fun. Yeah, do a little something different, and also to try and figure out like why is this here. But I think we figured it out. It's got a knife and it has the word slasher in the killer's name. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good uh, Christmas in July watch because it's, you know, you get the the L.A. Christmas. It's like, yeah, it's hot. Mm-hmm. But it's Christmassy. It's Christmassy. <laughs> and it was worth it for that Toys R Us commercial mm-hmm. with the 
fucking Jeffrey family on the sled. <laughs> it just, yeah, it really brings you back instantly. Yeah, Santa's even in this movie, in that car chase scene. He is. He's running the toll booth. <laughs> he has free time this time of year. <laughs> How did this watch go for you, Jim? Um, The most recent watch? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like it is, um, an underrated Stallone flick. I feel like, um, I understand why people don't talk about it as much as like Rambo or Rocky, Yeah, but I feel like it's so, if you actually like understand Stallone or like, um, you know, kind of want to know about him, like from a career perspective that this is something that like feels like so unmistakably him at the time that um yeah it's kind of indispensable i did read that uh it was screened for reagan at camp david <laughs> and he was like there i am he's all 10 out of 10 they're all like whoa there you were ronnie <laughs> it's, the, it's the dicaprio meme yeah <laughs> pointing at the tv totally yeah, fistful <laughs> of jelly beans settled in to watch this movie. That's right. Yeah. Um, it is a very 80s movie. I like that, though. It's kind of a fun little, little uh, time capsule. So so 80s, in fact, that the Transformers, the movie uh, Stan Bush song was written mm-hmm. for this movie. <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> like, why? When would it have been used? Like, I when know. when the night slasher was stabbing through a hospital door? Can you imagine, like, Stan Bush playing or something? I mean, they worked the Miami sound machine in. Yeah, there was a lot of music. Working all day, <laughs> try to make a living. <laughs> Very period appropriate. <laughs> and they didn't they license that one like song because they were filming a music video in the same uh, studio that they were editing Cobra. Which one? That one? The um, Miami Sound Machine one? No, it's I'm trying to I had it up on let me see. I'll have it in one sec. Studio. Um, it was Feel the Heat by Jean uh, Beauvoir. Is it the song, the other song that they sing in Boogie Nights? No, but it is It is called Feel the Heat. So yeah. you, would, you would think that it it is, but it's not. It's this one right here. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We'll post you can see those, those investigative Stallone eyeballs. Yep. My dad's older sister fucking loved Stallone when I was a kid. <laughs> she called him the Italian Stallion. I mean, everybody did, but that's what he was to her. And she had a big old poster of him in her room. That's what bedroom eyes are. He's got such a distinct face. It's very like this face has seen a lion eat a Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's an old timey <laughs> Roman face, I yeah. think. And he was in uh, the first episode we did, right? In, on the cover of Playgirl. 
Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> Silver Party Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing it back. Yeah. We got to get our hands on that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, anybody else got anything they want to say about this movie before we do our reviews? Nope. I think I'm good. All right. Well, Lenny gave it one and a half stars. Once more, Stallone wraps himself in the American flag and fights for the greater glory of mankind by going after a criminal vermin. This time, he's a cop. Typical low-grade action fair where all the other cops are stubborn dummies and all the bad guys are repellent creeps. Some good action sequences. Video hounds, one bone. Lowbrow, manipulative action fair, void of feeling. Uh, that's not true. We just, we're going to feel the heat. So, wrong. <laughs> we literally just felt the heat. We just did. <laughs> Truly exploitative with little expression from the leads. That's not true either. Stallone has that one face he makes and he has that other face that he makes. <laughs> Highlight is the extended chase sequence. They are right about that. Um, They're probably upset because he doesn't do his token, um, his trademark yell where his jaw shifts uh -huh. to one side. So, well, now I that you mention it, I'm upset too. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's lacking. I mean that's really the only area in which I find the film is lacking. Yeah, and like it is a major oversight because <laughs> <laughs> I think like subconsciously. I was like, when's he going to do it? Probably when he rides that motorcycle through that window. <laughs> Never happens. Was that not, maybe this was like apocryphal 80s rumor that I just have like, uh, just kept with me. But is that not from a motorcycle accident? That his, his jaw like. Oh, I bet you he made that up and started passing it around town. I mean, this is for the conspiracy theory episode. Yeah, we <laughs> we've got three about. episodes <laughs> now. <laughs> Again, this is like this was pre-internet rumor mill that I probably yeah. you know like got from the playground at school. So uh -huh. you know, I don't I don't want to perpetuate these you know well, this, this disinformation. He got off easy if that's what we were saying about him. Fair, because uh, other people. Did not make it out as easily. Stallone. Oh, he's in this really bad motorcycle accident. That's what he looks like. That fucking cool, man. Yeah, well, guess where he was riding his motorcycle to? Get his stomach pumped at the hospital. Because there was a gerbil. Yep. And that gerbil <laughs> swallowed too much jizz. <laughs> and fuck the robot. <laughs> That's all true. Um, my cousin's aunt is a nurse at the hospital where it <laughs> happened. I believe it. Yep. I believe all gerbil related urban <laughs> legends. <laughs> Corey doesn't believe in MK Ultra, but she believes all the gerbil stuff. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to give our reviews? Yeah. So we rate movies out of 10. And am I going to go first? I feel like I'm probably lower on this than you guys. Well, we let our guests go first, usually, I feel like. Okay. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty solid four-star film. As much as I love it, I don't mm -hmm. 
think it's a particularly good movie. Um, and it's like, I feel like four stars is like consistent with like the canon oeuvre. Sure. Um, in terms of quality of filmmaking. And yeah, if we're talking about like 10 stars being Lawrence of Arabia. And Tammy you know. and the T-Rex. <laughs> I mean, this is your personal 10 stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Even even then, you know, I mean, this movie lacks Paul Walker. It does have <laughs> it does have nitrous. It oxide. has the Nas. Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I feel like it's a comfortable four. Mm -hmm. It is uh, in many ways. It's very incompetent. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but it has a soft spot in your a, heart. I mean, it's it's so memorable. Yeah. Okay, you went way lower than I thought you were going to. <laughs> I'm I mean, gonna just go because I just because I grew up with this movie. I guess doesn't mean I like think it's a good movie. So I'm I'm gonna actually go four point five out of ten. Extra point five for that chase scene. I go five point five, and my extra points are also for the chase scene. I screamed. I screamed so much. <laughs> I the my my five is the beginning of 50 as in 1950 mercury monterey <laughs> or awesome 50 yeah. however you're reading it you you gave it an awesome five awesome <laughs> five five yeah <laughs> no core make it 5.0 okay let's change it it's going in the record book i wouldn't be mad about watching cobra again i had fun yeah, I mean, I've seen it over half a dozen times, so clearly my rating on it does not really... It's inconsequential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we're like, it's like a four, but absolutely watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say if you haven't seen Cobra, you should watch it. It's, I, I, I think, a pretty good piece of the Stallone uh, filmography. Well, yeah, I feel like the, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's it being part of the slasher list questionable but mm -hmm. also kind of essential viewing for fans of stallone as well as fans of 80s action yes yes i agree awesome all right well i guess that's that on cobra our next movie is no next movie so good <laughs> we're taking a break to finish out the summer yeah, we're going to come back in September, and by that time, we're going to officially dec declare it spooky season. Yeah. I refuse to, to go before my bathing suit is put away. Yeah. So That's you'll a good have time to, for a break. Yeah. You'll have to follow us on social media if you want to know what our next episode's mm -hmm. going to be about. Jim, you got anything that you want to plug? You want to tell people where they can find you? So all the stuff I rambled about um, is pretty accessible through my website, jimvendiola.com, which is just my first name and last name as one word, dot com. And so all the shorts that I've done um, that are, are available online are on that site. Um, pretty Pickle, the... The latest one will be available. It's it's just it's in its final um, 
leg of its festival tour. So it'll be online uh, July 27th via director's notes. Um, so not only will you get to see the full film that has been like grossing people out and irking them for like the past year on the festival circuit. <laughs> You'll also get to read uh, my stupid thoughts about it because they publish like a full article. Oh, along cool. With the film. And so, yeah, I'll probably uh, that'll be on like my link tree. But again, like, you know, my website will be pointing to that when it's available um, at the end of July. Um, and that's that's usually where I uh, where I update things and then um, people can follow me on social through the, uh, that website, the links on that website, uh, should they so choose. Um, I'm like mostly active on Instagram. I don't really mm -hmm. write things on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, scared of this threads thing. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> I know, um, I'm scared too. I don't know what to do. I mean, yeah, I, I can't stand Twitter, but mm -mm. it's like, you know, I just like learn useless things on there so but i mean yeah i mean i think uh if if people are trying to like keep up with the latest about what i'm doing i'm usually promoting stuff on instagram so yeah right on well we avenged twitter last episode when we put elon in the submarine <laughs> we did yeah he should have been there well he's going on the next one we're packing a bag. We made a list. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. That's it for us. As always, please donate to the Bakersfield Burrito Project to help feed our hungry and homeless neighbors here in Bakersfield on Cash App and Venmo, Bako Burrito Project. And if you're not following us on Instagram, we're at Gag Me With The Chainsaw. And we are on Twitter mm -hmm. at Chainsaw podcast the account exists anyways yes it's there <laughs> sometimes we retweet some things sometimes we do <laughs> and you can call us 661-454-7499 um is that it everybody that's all i got we get out there and clean up these streets <laughs> yeah let's take to the streets. all right thanks for coming on jim Hey, this is great. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Thanks we had fun too. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Gag Me With A Chainsaw with your hosts, Corey and Sarah. Music by White Bat Audio. Find us on Twitter at Chainsaw Podcast and on Instagram at Gag Me With A Chainsaw. Until next time, unpleasant dreams. <laughs>